Open the Word of God with me to John's Gospel, the 18th chapter, and let's take up from where we ended at verse 32. In verses 28 through 32, we saw the betrayal of the Lord Jesus from the Jews to the Gentiles. And I hope that you see the significance of that event. I hope that you understand John 19.11 differently than you did in the past. That it wasn't Judas that had the greatest sin. It was Caiaphas. And it was that betrayal, not to the Jews, but from the Jews to Pilate the Gentile that uh, Jesus points out in John chapter 19. John chapter 18, let's go to verse 33. Over the next five verses, we have Pilate interrogating Jesus. And we have more of the exchange here in John than we do in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And this will be what I'm going to call the first trial before Pilate. And then he's going to go to Herod, then he'll come back, and there'll be more in John 19 between Jesus and Pilate. But verses 33 through 37. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore saith unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Amen and amen. Amen. Verse 38 is a transitional verse because it is ending the section of Pilate interrogating Jesus, and it begins his effort to save Jesus by offering Barabbas uh, alongside Jesus, hoping that they would take Jesus instead of Barabbas. Verse 33, I hope that the, the verses we covered this morning, 28 through 32, those five verses, you understand better and how they introduce so many aspects of the Lord's trial. But now we come to verse 33. Pilate has gone out to the Jews and they have answered him that they wouldn't have brought Jesus to Pilate unless he was a guilty malefactor. So their belief is guilty without proof. We believe in innocent until proven guilty. And they practice the opposite with Pilate. Pilate knew why the Jews had brought him. It was for some religious crime, not a civil crime, or they would have brought evidence. And now when he goes into Jesus, he's going to deal quite delicately with the Lord, and the Lord's going to respond quite well back. Verse 33, 
Then Pilate entered in to the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? So there's a private conversation here between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate has to go back into the judgment hall. Why are the words there? To remind us of the scrupulosity of the Jews being scrupulous about not defiling themselves by going into a building that housed Gentiles. So Pilate, to talk to the Jews, has to go out. To talk to Jesus, has to come back in. And so he's going back and forth. And you can find a number of references in John 18 and 19 of him having to go in and out to maintain his dialogue with both. But here he is with Jesus in the judgment hall, Pilate's judgment hall, the Roman judgment hall, the Gentile hall of judgment. And he calls Jesus and asks him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Where did the question come from? The question came from their accusations. And we know that from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they accused Jesus of teaching sedition against Caesar, of not paying taxes to Caesar because Jesus himself, they said, claimed to be Christ and king. So they're slandering the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate a young man that came to me at break time. Young man, do you know that I'm pointing at you? Just nod so that I can be comforted. Okay. Came to me at break time, you know, and knew that it was only a few chapters earlier when Jesus had told the chief priests and the Pharisees to pay taxes to Caesar because render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. That's, Jesus had already told Caiaphas, when Caiaphas questioned him about his doctrine, he didn't answer him. He just said, I never taught in private. I had no secrets. I taught in public, where the Jews always resort to their synagogues and to the temple. Ask those people that heard me about my doctrine, and they would have learned Jesus supported Rome and was not guilty of sedition against Rome. We never want to be guilty of sedition against our government in word or deed. We don't want to mock our government. We don't want to ridicule them. We don't want to despise dominion. We want to give them all the reverence and honor that they deserve because they're appointed of God, they're ministers of God to us for good. These are the differences that we want to make to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Art thou a king? So Jesus has a question posed to him, and look at his answer. Verse 34. Then Pilate, that's verse 33, Pilate entered the judgment hall and asked the question. Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Now Jesus, knowing all things, knew the Jews had slandered him, that he was trying to subvert the Roman government. If Pilate officially or judicially interrogated Jesus, where were witnesses of the crime? Are you asking me personally and privately? Or are you asking me judicially and authoritatively whether I'm a king? This is just beautiful. This is just a gentle answer reminding him of his duty. That if it was a personal question, no problem. If it was a judicial question, then there need, to be, there need to be witnesses there that he was a king or that he had claimed to be a king. 
So he answers very gently, but he puts Pilate somewhat on the spot to produce evidence or to admit that he was personally interested in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Herod's, Herod was personally interested in Jesus of Nazareth. When you go to Luke 23, and I hope you read it last evening, when Jesus appeared before Herod, Herod for a long time had wanted to talk to Jesus Christ because he had heard about so many of the miracles. If Pilate unofficially questioned Jesus about being a king, Jesus wanted Pilate to own up to it. I hope you can see why he, re he was not being disrespectful. He was gently reminding Pilate, if you're bringing an accusation against me, what evidence or witnesses do you have? If you're not bringing an accusation against me, but you're personally interested, own up to it. Let's have a chat about whether I'm a king or not. Pilate knows he's on the spot. Look at his response. <coughs> Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? So he didn't really have that much interest in the Lord Jesus Christ as king. And he also knew that he was in a tight spot because he knew that the crime the Jews had brought Jesus for was not civil, but it was religious. Am I a Jew? You should know why they brought you. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of this in the gentlest, easiest way possible. They're envious. He doesn't say this. It's all implied because we understand it from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're envious. They only have a religious claim against you, but they're slandering you by being against the Roman government, by claiming to be a king and preaching against Caesar. Am I a Jew? Why don't you just go ahead and tell me, what have you done that have your people so upset that they would turn you over to me? And so that's what verse 35 is. Am I a Jew? You know the religious claims against you. Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Where does it stand between a civil crime and a religious crime? Is it only religious? Is it partly civil? Do you have any animosity toward the Roman government? Are you any threat to me? Are you any threat to Caesar? Are you any threat to Caesarea? I'm not a Jew. You're a Jew. And it's your chief priests that have turned you over. What is the issue? Jesus goes back to his initial question. Pilate's initial question was, are you a king? Jesus answers it in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. And he's answering it. See, Pilate didn't really care if Jesus thought he was a king or not unless Jesus' idea of his kingship threatened Rome. Are you, are you with me on this trial? I love details. I hate details. Does everyone here understand me when I say that? I love details because I want to know every clause and phrase of this passage and everywhere else in the Bible, but I hate details because I don't want to lose sight of the man standing there. And the man standing there is brilliant. And Paul told Timothy 35 years later that his confession before Pontius Pilate was something to be remembered and something to be followed as being an outstanding example of the character and wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not lose sight of the man while we look at all the details and think about Pilate's mind, the Jew's mind, and our Lord's. Let's think about the angels as well. There's angels standing in there and they have their right hand. And yes, they're right-handed. They have their hand on their swords. They know that Jesus of Nazareth is the darling of God. 
And their whole lives are to keep God's commandments and to honor him, praise him, glorify him, and promote his kingdom on the earth. They have fought devilish battles with the kings of Grecia and the kings of Persia. They know all about warfare, and they're standing there. There's all these elements that are present. Jesus said, don't you know, Peter, that I could call 12 legions of angels? We can think about all these different aspects, but let's never forget Jesus of Nazareth himself our Lord and our Savior, a king that died for us. Do you know what composure he had to not say anything? If you would have been there and you would have been accused of crimes, slandered, you would have vehemently denied their slander. But he was going to go to fulfill Scripture as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he didn't open his mouth. He fulfilled Scripture. He became a sacrifice. God chose lambs and sheep, not dogs and cats, for the altar of Israel. If you take a cat and even rub its hair backwards, it will let you know. It'll try to rip your eyeballs out. At least Siamese cats that I grew up with, you might as well have a wild mountain cat. But lambs, it was a special creature God chose. And that's why we made that visit. And thank you, Lord, for arranging there to be a sheep dairy just a couple miles from our meeting place here. And you were able to see the size of the animal and yet their meekness when they went under the clipping shears or when they're slaughtered. And so the Lord's doing that. Why is he doing that? Doesn't he care about himself? He cares about the will of God, and he cares about us. And he's in the middle. He's the purest mediator that there has ever been. He is the purest attorney and lawyer between God and us. And that's why he's being quiet. He's fulfilling every scripture account about him. He is going like a lamb, never to be seen as a lamb again except slain, because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's coming again. He came again on that generation. And he's coming again for us. Love him. He put up with this this hypocrisy and duplicity and conspiracy and wickedness and blood money. And these Jews that were the chosen people of God and the high priest who of all people in the nation should have protected Jesus. Remember that he went to the cross to pay for our sins. Remember what I started with this morning, or I'll turn there right now, and we'll stay there until you all get it. Isaiah 53, 6 through 8. I was tremendously burdened to get to you with Isaiah 53, 6 through 8. He was taken from judgment. That should irritate you and anger you that it happened to Jesus. He didn't open his mouth. He was dumb before his shears. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. That servant of the high priest Caiaphas that slapped him in the face? What does that do to you? Why did that happen to him? He was wounded for our transgressions, brethren. He was wounded for our transgressions and he cheerfully, willfully took them. He could have defended himself. He didn't. These wicked men should have known better. They had the word of God. They had Isaiah 53. They probably could quote Isaiah 53. They probably could have done a word search of it from their heads. Isaiah 53. Let's not miss the Lord Jesus Christ while we look at the details. 
Jesus answered in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, you don't have anything to worry about. If my kingdom were of this world, like your kingdom, like Caesar's kingdom, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. My kingdom isn't from this world. That last clause simply means my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not like yours. My kingdom is a heavenly spiritual kingdom. If my kingdom were like yours, then I would have never been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what reports you got. That I said, cuff me. That I said, who are you looking for? That I identified myself as Jesus of Nazareth. You already know that. Why wasn't there anyone there to defend me? Why did I ask that those that were with me be allowed to leave the scene of the arrest? You have also heard about my entrance into Jerusalem a few days ago, about the crowds that gathered and proclaimed me as a king. Where were they in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why weren't they there to fight, to protect me, to keep me from being betrayed to the Jews? This is a political issue of the Roman jurisdiction over Israel right here in this exchange. Jesus is not trying to teach him some deep truth about his kingdom. But he is explaining some things that we readily understand that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a spiritual, heavenly kingdom, not an earthly, military, or political kingdom. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. And Jesus simply says it there to answer Pilate's question. Notice how he jumps back. Pilate has a question, am I a Jew? That, wasn't, that was a rhetorical question. You know why you're here, and you know what the Jews have said against you. I am not going to get involved in their accusations against you. I have one concern. Are you a king, and are you seditious? Are you against the Roman government? So Jesus answers that question in verse 36. I hope it's plain and simple. He could have said so many other things. He asks, he asks Pilate, are you asking me this question as a judge, or are you asking me this question as a person? If you're asking me as a judge, where are the charges and where are, my witness, where are the witnesses against me? If you're asking me as a person, I'll be happy to talk to you. Am I a Jew? Shows that the heart of Pilate is not where we wish it were. So though I said some nice things about Pilate, Pilate did not care about his soul, nor did he fear God, nor did he want to learn about the God of Jesus of Nazareth. My kingdom is not of this world. The Jewish rulers had accused Jesus to Pilate of being a seditious king. It's not here in John's account, but it's in the other accounts. And if you read Luke 23 last night, you know that it's in the Luke 23 account. Their charge of blasphemy would mean nothing to Pilate, so they had to slander Jesus politically. And Pilate knew that. There's, there is hypocrisy even here, for the Jews craved a military Messiah to defeat Rome. Think. The Jews accused Jesus to Pilate of being against Caesar. What was burning in the breast of every single one of them? I can't wait till our Messiah, the son of David, comes and destroys the Romans. But they're lying hypocrites to use their enemy, the invaders of Israel, to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ for them. 
He had not done any such thing that the Jews accused him of. In fact, the Bible records for us in Matthew 22 that he gave them quite a political lesson between the difference of a de jure government of the Constitution of Israel, which they were appealing to, and de facto government of the Roman invaders that Jesus appealed to. He said, what money circulating? Is it our Jewish money, or is there Roman money circulating now? And they held out a piece, and it had Caesar's picture on it, and he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It was a beautiful lesson in politics and economics. He supported Caesar, and he saw how Caesar and God Jehovah could easily fit together in a de facto government, and that's where we are today, and we appeal to the same passage of Scripture. We love God and know that he reigns on high, and we obey the laws of Caesar in our nation until Caesar tries to get us to do something God has forbidden or not to do something that God has commanded. Then we draw the line. And so when the Jews tried to tell the apostles that they couldn't preach, they said we ought to obey God rather than men. Enough on that. Jesus explained that his kingdom was spiritual and was no threat to Caesar. This kingdom had come a number of years earlier. When John the Baptist burst on the scene, baptizing at the Jordan River, his message was, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. As soon as he baptized, that's Matthew 3, 2. As soon as he baptized Jesus, and Jesus was tried 40 days and 40 nights by the devil, Jesus' words were the same. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, since John the Baptist, since the first Baptist preacher arrived in this world, every man presseth into it. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So this spiritual kingdom was there. When we are baptized, we take the Lord Jesus Christ as our head, as our king, as our Lord, and as our Savior, and we commit to be his disciples and live by his rules. We did this last Sunday afternoon. We become the disciples of Jesus Christ. We become the followers of a king. We swear our allegiance to him. We thank him for what he did for us as a king in laying down his life to redeem us from our sins. And we own that everything we've done contrary to his rules should be repented of. Because it's the, it was the baptism of repentance. And that doesn't change with Pentecost. It's still a baptism of repentance. Because when the men said to Peter on the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter's answer was, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You're swearing allegiance to Jesus Christ in discipleship, and you're flushing your past life to live in a new life under a spiritual king, submitting your heart, your words, your thoughts, your deeds to him and his rules for your life. That's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. The Roman government, when it came, it came with observation. A legion would march into the city. Or a part of a legion would march into a city. And you would see it. You would see their ensigns. You would see their banners. You would see their military officers. You would see the one on horse, ones on horseback. And you would see the ones on foot. It came with observation. But Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, he totally convinces Pilate. Pilate keeps going back out to the Jews. He, I find no... No crime in this man worthy of death at all. Herod, another appointee of the Roman government, found nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ to be guilty of civilly. We want to be that way. 
I know I've said it a number of times, but when I read a passage like this, I want to go down like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not go down for any other cause. Let us not be in prison for any other reason, but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they can stone us, burn us, pull us apart, tear our fingernails off, slit our stomachs open and fill it with corn, and let wild, hungry pigs loose. They can do whatever they want, but let us go down for the cause of Jesus Christ, and we'll hope in that hour, if it's ever that bad, that he will give us the grace to bear it, because he has so far in the history of the world. The martyrs show the grace of God in their lives. My kingdom is not of this world. 36 is not a difficult verse. Pilate, my kingdom is not political like yours. My kingdom is not militaristic like yours. In this world. But now just out of sight of Pilate. Just out of sight of Pilate because these two little balls of muscle and mucous membrane that were hanging in his skull couldn't see the army that was present. So when we say the kingdom of Jesus Christ isn't militaristic, it's not earthly militaristic, it's heavenly militaristic, and Jesus has another title called Lord of Hosts because he's the head of heaven's armies. All angels, principalities, powers, thrones, might, and dominion report to him. That sounds pretty militaristic to me. But it was no military at this time. Did Jesus say, but now is my kingdom not from hence? He didn't say, but my kingdom will never have a military on earth. He said, but now is my kingdom not from hence. My kingdom right now is spiritual. We all know what's coming, brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come from heaven. He's going to be on a... The picture the Bible wants is him on a white horse. And there's going to be a shout and the voice of the archangel. And there's going to be a heavenly army coming. And we're going to be in it. And all wicked men and all wicked devils are going to be thrown to the lake of fire by this army. And we're going to be part of it. It's very militaristic. But it's spiritual of a new heaven and a new earth. And Pilate had no worry about it because Jesus was as loyal of a citizen to the Roman Empire as could be. And that's the way we want to be. And the Christians were known throughout the centuries as being incredibly loyal, faithful, dependent, dependable servants of the Roman Empire. Unless they were told some commandment against their religion. Oh, it began with John the Baptist. When you repent and you're baptized, you enter the kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 21. You know this, but let me show you a verse and we'll, and we'll go on. Matthew 21 Verse 28 starts this way. A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, Matthew 21, 28, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Verse 31, Jesus asked the question, Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. The one that said, I won't, but did, because he repented and did. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. And so there's a great chasm drawn and a line drawn in the nation 
between the publicans and the harlots because they were willing to repent of their sins and justify God and be baptized with the baptism of John. Look at Luke chapter 7. And this is what we did last Sunday afternoon. And this is what you did when you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what you young people need to do as you become of age and are committed to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. And all the people that heard him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. They justified God. Baptism justifies God. It doesn't make him innocent who was previously a sinner. It declares him righteous all along. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Notice the difference that is made at baptism. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's only part of it. Do you repent of your sins? Repent. What does it mean to repent? God, you're right. I'm wrong. I have perverted your way on the earth. It didn't profit me, and I, re I reject it all now. I will not live that way anymore. Repentance. It's justifying God because it says, God, you're right. God, you're righteous. When you're not baptized, you don't repent, and you're saying, I'm righteous. I can stand the way I am before God. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees did. But the publicans and the harlots, they went into the kingdom of God by justifying him, repenting of their sins, and promising to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so in, back to John chapter 18 and verse 36, they were pressing into that kingdom. There were changes that were made to get into that kingdom. In Luke chapter 3, the people came to John the Baptist and said, what shall we do? The publicans came to John the Baptist. What shall we do? The soldiers came to John the Baptist. What shall we do? And in each case, the answer that was given by the first Baptist preacher, not the pastor of the first Baptist, well, we could call it that. The first Baptist preacher, he gave them answers that every earthly king would love because he gave them laws of citizenship that make great citizens. John the Baptist. I'm not turning you there for the sake of time. Jesus had explained that his kingdom didn't come with observation because his kingdom was within men. Because it is inside when we bow our hearts and we bow our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going to obey him and we're not going to follow ourselves any longer. Verse 36. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Brethren, our fight or war is not with this world. Can, can we learn from this verse? My kingdom is not of this world. Our war is with the spirit world out of sight. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, where it says that we're to stand in the full armor of God, but the, that armor of God is piece by piece of spiritual traits, spiritual virtues. That's our war. It isn't down here. You're playing with soap bubbles. You're playing with pop guns, cork guns, with no enemy at all. You're, you're jousting with windmills. Our war isn't down here. Our war is a spiritual war. And we arm for it, not by signing petitions, not by donating to candidates, not by voting. We do those things. Your pastor votes. 
your pastor donates and your pastor signs petitions. But you don't even know what petitions I sign and you don't know who I donate to because it's not important. What's important is that your pastor continually reminds you of this verse 36 right here. My kingdom is not of this world. And so I want to keep your kingdom priorities right. And your kingdom priority is Jesus reigns. And Jesus is coming again. And I need to be living for Jesus. And I need to help everyone in my sphere of influence to be looking for his coming and to be living for him. And if we get off track, I have failed you as a pastor. But God being my helper, I'm not going to get off track. I've seen ministers off track. I've been in churches with ministers off track. I've seen whole decades of this nation go down under the influence of the moral majority and the 20th century reformation hour and other organizations and threat and campaigns like that that are not scriptural. Jesus is making a political distinction. Jesus didn't care about Pilate's political world. He had a spiritual world that was very different. And we can function very well as good Christians under any pagan government, whether it's the one we have right now or the ones that Paul was under with the Roman Empire. It's so important. I've seen men waste their lives. I've seen men waste their lives, and I don't want anyone to waste their life in here. I've seen them lose their children by focusing too much on another battle that's not ours. Lord, help us. Help us to remember this right here. because And Paul told Timothy... I charge thee, Timothy, before Jesus Christ, who witnessed a good confession. And here's the good confession. My kingdom is not of this world. You say, why do you vote? Because God gave me that privilege in this nation to influence government to that extent, and therefore I vote. And if you don't vote, you're going to have a serious reckoning with the Lord to justify why you didn't vote. Because it's a means God gave you to influence politics without getting involved in politics. You say, why do you donate? some people I like to help in a time of trouble. You say, how much do you spend? I'm not going to tell you. Not very much. Um, you didn't get angry enough over the last three weeks to want to donate a few bucks? Right. Sorry, I did. You say, I thought you didn't care. I don't. But you wanted to help them? Yes. I wanted there to be a few advertisements made on the other side of the ledger. You say, do you sign petitions? Yeah, I sign petitions. Because it's a privilege that God gave us in our country. So I'm not divorcing myself from all those means that God gave me. Just like if I was looking for a job, I think I might use LinkedIn. Would it be smart to use LinkedIn if I was looking for a job? Well, if I'm going to pray for our nation, I want to do the things that he's given me that I can do for our nation. After I do a few of those things, I'm content because I know Jesus reigns and every man in office he's put there and every man with the attitude or spirit that he has right then is there because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then I can pray and ask God to save our nation. And I thank God for our nation. And I've done my little part. Then the next part, if that's this big, then this big is to help all of you and me and my wife and my family love this king. This king. Because this king Jesus rules the earth. He rules it with a rod of iron. 
I love a rod of iron. Look at that symbology in the Bible. It's no little gavel. It's a rod of iron. The scepter of his kingdom is a righteous scepter. And if you don't like it his way, he smashes you in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, can you get excited about a king like that? I get excited about him. I thank him for putting me in America. I love America. I hate what's happened to America. I'm thankful for what's happened the last two years to America. And I hope that something will happen at our southern border for America. You say, are you going to donate? I'm not going to answer that question. Are you going to join the Minutemen and go down there and help keep our border? No. Did you ever think about doing that in your life when you first heard about the Minutemen when you were single digits in age? Yes. Is that why you slept with knives and guns? Yes. Enough. 36. Let's be like the Lord Jesus Christ. If we put his kingdom first, and we love him as king, and we praise him as king like Eric taught us today, when we pray and ask him to intervene in the affairs of America, will he be disposed to do so? Yes, he will. Has he proven it already that we're still doing as well as we are in America in 2018? Absolutely and without a doubt. This country was headed straight down the toilet in the 60s. And here we are in 2018. Just remember who's in charge. The Lord is. And I mean no disrespect at all to the one that tweets from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue because the Lord put him there and I like him. There's things about him that I, but it doesn't matter. The Lord put him there, so I just like him. And I don't like anyone that says anything against him because he's our leader. And while it wasn't quite as true with the previous president, I knew that God had put him there as well. He was still better than our nation deserved. Just think, we survived eight years, okay? All of that is from verse 36. I'm trying to explain verse 36 to you. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, my kingdom pilot is not political. My followers don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Remember, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle spiritual battles. If my kingdom were of this world, then the crowds that have followed me in my ministry would have been the Garden of Gethsemane, and that little band from the high priests and Pharisees wouldn't have been able to touch me. There would have been a war. There would be civil war on your hands, but there was no war. I said, cuff me, and here I am standing here. There's no one outside clamoring, and I'm not trying to run away. My kingdom isn't from this world. It's not from here. Verse 37, Pilate picked up that Jesus, in verse 36, had backed up to his question of verse 33. Pilate says in 37, Art thou a king then? You've just made reference to your kingdom. Just clarify with me, are you a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. I know that that kind of language and that expression does not mean make sense to you, but it means you bet I am. That's right. It is not Jesus being stupid and saying to Pilate, you just said I'm a king. No, Pilate didn't say he was a king. Pilate asked if he were a king. And Jesus goes on to explain, yes, I'm a king. By his, He's already said it, my kingdom. If you have a kingdom that is your singular kingdom, are you a king? He says in verse 
37, to this end was I born. I was born to be king. This is where we could go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew will write, thou sayest it. Matthew doesn't write, thou sayest that I am a king. He just writes, thou sayest it. Mark and Luke write, thou sayest. You got it. We say, isn't that almost identical? You got it. Someone asks us a question. You got it. Are you a king? You got it. You bet I am. That's what he's saying. He's not restating something that doesn't make any sense. And if you go compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find out. Now, last, last Sunday, I already taught you this, and I showed you the verses. So I'm relying on your memory. Last Sunday, he wouldn't answer Caiaphas anything until Caiaphas swore him to it. I adjure thee that thou tell us whether you're the Christ, the Son of God, or not. And then we went and looked at it, and Mark gave it away. Matthew said, thou sayest it. Luke said, thou sayest it. Mark said, I am. So, that's, how we, that's how we compare spiritual things with spiritual. When you go to Matthew 24, Jesus warns about the abomination of desolation. When you go to Mark 13, Jesus warns about the abomination of desolation. Well, how do you find out what the abomination of desolation is without even going to Daniel where Jesus said to go? Is there a shorter route? You go to Luke 21, where Luke says, when you see armies encompassing Jerusalem. So the abomination of desolation were the Roman armies encompassing Jerusalem. And if you want to know what thou sayest it, thou sayest that I am a king. You go to Mark and find out, I am. I'm sorry, but I am not very sorry that the Bible is written the way it is. If this kind of language gives you trouble, I'm sorry for you. And if this kind of language gives skeptics trouble or scorners trouble, I thank God for it. Because it's not, it's not difficult to figure out. All you got to do is look at the context here and see that Jesus is not denying or making it difficult for Pilate to know that he was a king, but that his kingdom was different from Pilate's, so there was no threat to him or Caesar. Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. You bet I'm a king. To this end was I born? And don't we know that? When the angels split the skies open over Judea where the shepherds were with their flocks in the fields that night? For this, for this, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world to be the king of God's kingdom that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate, my kingdom is not militaristic. My kingdom is not political. My kingdom is no threat to Caesar or you or Caesarea or Herod or any one of the tetrarchs in this part of the world. My kingdom is spiritual. My kingdom pertains to truth from God. My kingdom is to reveal truth that God's given to me. I was born to be a king. I was put into this world to be a king. But my kingdom is about truth. My kingdom is about spiritual truth. My, my kingdom is about revelation from God for, God, for that men to know what God wills for their lives and for what God has done in this world. My kingdom is all about truth. My kingdom is about religious, spiritual, heavenly truth. There's no threat to your kingdom. That is what verse 37 is all about. And everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. My followers are those that love true religion. My followers are those that love religious truth. Do you see this clear as day? This exchange between Pilate and Jesus? I hope it's clear that maybe it's been before. If it's not, so be it. I want to give you things old and new from God's word.
it should be very simple for you to understand this exchange. And I'm trying to reword it, not to change the Bible, but to help you understand what 37 is saying. Yes, Pilate, I was born king. He doesn't say that you weren't. Pilate wasn't born king. Do you know what Pilate had to do in military school to ever get to where he was? He had to work hard to get to where he was. I was born king and I came into this world to be king. But my kingdom is no threat to you, Pilate. My kingdom is all about religious truth and the revelation of God to men. And everyone that is of the truth, everyone that loves my kind of religion, and everyone that loves the God that sent me, and everyone that loves me as a representative of God, hears my voice and they follow me. It's not for seditious purposes. It's not to overthrow the Roman government. It's simply, this is our religion. I'm flailing in the quicksand. I hope not. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm flailing in the quicksand and sinking deeper, looking for bedrock. The bedrock is right here in the Bible, and I hope that it's very plain to you. Um, on what Jesus is saying to Pilate. And you know, here comes the answer. This answer should just make you sick. What is truth? See, Pilate's political kingdom, Pilate's militaristic kingdom, it didn't care about truth. All it cared about was obedience. When we say march, you march. When we say jump, you say how high. And so all of a sudden, Pilate realizes this has no threat to me whatsoever. What is truth? I mean, if Jesus of Nazareth thinks he has truth, if his followers think that he has truth, then so be it. What is truth? You know, there isn't really truth, Jesus of Nazareth. I've never had truth to deal with. I just have to deal with political expediency all the time. Do you know that I've got a bunch of liars outside my door right now that are slandering you to be guilty of civil unrest and trying to create an uprising in Israel, and I've got to somehow satisfy them, and I will do it whatever way I can to save my job? He means all of that in the words, what is truth? Didn't Caiaphas say, we don't care what truth is. We don't care what morality is. We need to kill one man so the nation can live. John chapter 11. And so Pilate's the same way. Pilate is going to be pushed. He is going to try three different times at least to say, I find in him no fault at all, especially for capital punishment. Then the Jews are going to say, if you let him go, you are not a friend of Caesar. Now, that is not good for Pilate's career trajectory. Not to be a friend of Caesar. And so it's all simple, all very simple. But you know what? We have a king. He does have a military. But he has something better than that. He has the truth of God. He has the truth of God. And if you love him today, and if you have believed on him and have been baptized in his name, then you are showing that... You are one of the truth. And that's why we follow Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the embodiment and the greatest revelation of the truth of the universe in a king who is also the apostle of our profession. And he is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he is the bishop of our souls. And he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And he is the good shepherd of the sheep. He is everything about truth. And he said that he gave eternal life in John 17, 3, that we might know God, Jehovah, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom he hath sent, and that he's given us an understanding, 1 John 5, 20. Now see, do you understand that Pilate 
was in the same moment of truth that Agrippa was in when Agrippa said, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian? Pilate knows there's liars out there called Jews slandering Jesus. Pilate, when he heard that Jesus might be the Son of God, was afraid. He has this gentle confession from Jesus of Nazareth, reminding him of his political duties, yet explaining, there is no threat to your kingdom at all. My kingdom is very different. And yes, I came into this world and I was born to be king. But my kingdom is about truth, spiritual and religious truth. Why didn't Pilate say, every man out of here? Every man out of this room. Come here. Tell me more about your kingdom. Tell me more about your birth. Could he have told him something that would have shocked him? Like a virgin birth? Who is your father then? Tell me about your father. How have you done all these miracles? What is there in man's heart that that didn't happen? His job. His job, brethren. He was depraved, just like we are. And do you know where we are today, right now? It's our moment of truth for right now. It's our moment of truth for right now. How important is Jesus of Nazareth to you? Do you love every one of these words? Do you want to learn every one of these words? Do you want to obey Jesus Christ in all the truth that he's revealed to us? He's revealed to us the true and living God that no one has ever seen. But that true and living God created everything that you can't see and things that you can't see. Things too large for us and things too small for us. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's put a conscience inside us called the candle of the Lord. This God is so great and he's revealed so much to us. It's our moment of truth. Do you know how many moments of truth you've had in your life? Forget that. I'll make it easy on you. Do you know how many moments of truth I've had in my life? From before I was born, I was being told about Jesus of Nazareth. What are we going to do with it? Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Does Jesus have anything to say about government? Anything to say about money? Anything to say about speech? Anything to say about prayer? Anything to say about relations? Anything to say about marriage? Anything to say about sexual sins and sexual righteousness? Does Jesus Christ address every single one of these things? Then if we are going to answer our moment of truth the way we should, whatever Jesus said, that's what we're going to do. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Notice, Pilate perfectly understood what I just explained to you. There wasn't a doubt. If there was even the slightest doubt that Jesus' kingdom was a threat to the Roman government, he would have taken care of matters himself. But he knew there wasn't. But ye have a custom. The benevolence of your conquerors, the Roman Empire, has given you a custom that every year at Passover we release a prisoner to you. Ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. This was a custom granted by the Roman government to Israel. This was not some stipulation that Israel put on the Roman government. The Roman government didn't operate quite like that. 
Ye have a custom because we've given it to you every year at Passover that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Notice what he calls them. I love Pilate. I get sick by Pilate. I can't stand Pilate. All at once, depending on what verse I'm reading about Pilate. Will I release unto you the king of the Jews? He was hoping for that. Oh, so there's a little religious misunderstanding. I've got to give them someone. I really don't want to give them Barabbas. I would like to see Barabbas crucified because of an insurrection and sedition and murder. Then cried they all again. They've been crying, Jesus is a seditioner. But then now they cried, not this man. Listen to the disrespect for Jesus of Nazareth, your king and my king. They don't call him king. Pilate called him king. Then cried they all again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. We want Barabbas. He's a murderer and known for it. He's an insurrectionist and known for it. He is an enemy of the state. He's an enemy of Rome. And because of men like him, you Romans are harder on us than you otherwise would be. We want him. We know he's a robber. He's a thief. There's nothing good about him. And he murdered in the insurrection. But we want him. We don't want this man. And so John 18 ends. Do you want this man? I love this man. He's my Lord. He's my God. He's my king. He's my priest. He's my surety. He's everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author of eternal life. He's the author of my faith. He's everything. We come together for moments of truth. Pilate had his moment of truth. What is truth? And he turns and wanders out to the Jews because he had been schooled. I hope all of you parents are doing the job. I try to remind you in the updates. The amount of emphasis and the amount of money that is put on academic instruction, that's what Pilate had. There had better be so much more for the character and faith of believing in God sending his son Jesus Christ into this world and that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of power and rules the universe right now. Don't get confused by the world telling you what a good education is. They don't know even by their own measurements. Success does not come by their classrooms. But you better think really hard about Pilate. Why did he say what is truth? Because he'd been educated in state schools. They don't have any. If you want to see just a little bit of an answer to that question, what is truth? It was preached in 2005. It's single-spaced. It's seven pages long. It answers the question, what is truth? And it was preached to you. We have our moment of truth right now. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He can have anything my life has to give him because I'm all his forever. And amen. Amen. Amen.